Hey, welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the Snare Campaign Provocateur. Catch him on stage at MetLife Stadium with Bruce and John Bon Jovi. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? I don't know. Would I be? Listen, remember, I grew up in the old giant stadium. Yeah. You know, none of my stadiums are left. Or look like a. I, what are they doing in the old Brendan Byrne Arena now up in the Turnpike? What's happening there? Is it a mall? Is did they did Xanadu no. build like a roller coaster inside? <laughs> it's still there, but I hope that they keep it up until I uh, uh, finish trying to shoot a certain particular movie. Because I feel oh, like I oh yeah you're gonna I, rent it out I for feel, a picture. I feel like I could get a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, man, but it would be a blast to play there. I it would be hard to imagine, you know, yeah. like playing in a fucking football stadium. I don't get that stuff. But uh, how are you, Danny? I'm good. You know, finals wrapped up. We're uh, we're here on a Friday, living large, rocking out. It seems like the finals ended just in time for you. Oh my dude, I'm yeah. End of your rope. End of your finals rope. Too much pontification. Burnout is a word people use. <laughs> so no Draymond Green podcast this week. Oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> Listen, if, if 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 Draymond wants to pay me to produce that thing, but I think Coward has that unlocked. So but, yeah, 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 he's probably okay. But what's up with you? Oh, just getting ready for uh, Father's Day. Yeah, this is something I have to pay attention to now. You know, what's weird is like you still have responsibility on Father's Day to dictate what you want to do. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I'm like a grown 41 year old male. Like what I really want to do. I don't know. Sit around in my own like built for like eight hours and do absolutely nothing or something. Eat like shit. That's what I like probably actually want to do. But what a good father should do is uh, let's do something nice with family for Father's Day, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you should do that. You should, like... Of course. Uh, and I will. I will. I will value the time and do the whole thing. But, you know, they're like, they're like, oh, what, what, what does a person want to do if you had one day of the year where you could dictate wherever you want? If people were honest, I bet 50% of the time would be like, hey, I'm going to sit down at 9 o'clock in the morning with a beer. By noon, I'm going to be drunk. I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to eat something gross. Take another nap. Take a shower. And then by like three or four, let's hang out. You know? Yeah. Something like that. Or is that just me? Yeah, it could be you. Actually, no. I think that that's most men. But you got to like... All right. I feel like you should be like, hey, let's go up to the Bronx. Yankee game. Vamanos. Father's Day. It's nice. But here's the things you don't consider as part of that. Oh, you got to bring the kids in here. That's hard. Yeah. Full day at a Yankees game. That's hard. It's, that's uh, that's like, it's like when I was a, you know, in my early 20s and I do ecstasy, right? <laughs> you, you don't just do ecstasy for a night. You do it for the next day, too. Because it get like, this is the same thing with taking your kids to a Yankee. You take your kids to a Yankees game on Sunday, you feel it all Monday, too. It's a lot. It's overstimulating, you know? There's no way to do it unless I helicoptered in and out. There's no way to do it peacefully. I don't know how anyway. Well, you know what segment we never do peacefully, and it is overstimulating. It's a lot like Benny doing ecstasy in his early 20s every single week. It's this day music history. I hate to ruin your segment, your segue this time. But I went positive this week. Yes. Super positive. <laughs> because I found a story that really 
It warmed my heart, Denny. Yeah. So on this day in 1977, Tina Weymouth and Chris Franz, rhythm section of the esteemed Talking Heads, the underrated Talking Heads, mm. get married oh. in 1977. Now, usually our rock and roll stories end in tragedy, you know, whatever kind of, you know, drunken, self-absorbed tragedy, whatever normally happens. But guess what? Still married. And they're just the cutest older couple you've ever seen, you know? Um, Listen, they met in 1971 at RISD. I mean, already, they're art students in the early 70s who meet David Byrne and form the Talking Heads. (laughs) You're already fucking cool in my book. And then in 2002, became the first married couple inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And they are still married. Just a cool older couple doing their thing. I think it's really sweet. And sometimes good things need to be recognized instead of bad things. And the non-dramatic nature of their life has led to just like a, a great long love oh. i appreciate it isn't it nice that's nice they probably live up in like woodstock new york and just like i got a connecticut vibe oh okay it didn't say it didn't yeah. say but they recently of course to add some bullshit to this day in music <laughs> history uh they recently were hit head-on by a drunk driver oh okay. and both of them you know uh tina sustained uh decent injuries but they'll both be okay but by reading the article, it said US one and it said like a post road. So I got the impression that that's like one of those weird little sections of Route One up in Connecticut. Yeah. I don't know why. All right, Benny. On this nice one, wasn't it, Benny? Yeah, it was nice. Doesn't that feel good? Yeah, it feels good up until we hit, hit the drunk driving part. Yeah. <laughs> but sorry. On this day in 1955, after a month of booking gigs in larger venues in Dallas and Houston, the Colonel, Tom Parker, arranged a meeting with Elvis Presley's manager, Bob Neal, resulting in an agreement that saw the Colonel take over Presley's gigs and career strategy from then on out. Now, I love that how, mu- how recently this day in music history has been tied to like movies and like uh, other things, but this one... Tom Hanks is the colonel and yeah. that voice. It's going to be interesting, man, and I'm excited for it. I I am too. I think I I know you've been kind of hyping up this Elvis movie for a couple weeks yeah. now. I don't know when you became such a Boz Lerman enthusiast. See, I'm not I hate Milan Rouge so much, <laughs> but it's Elvis, man. And here's the one thing Tom Hanks did a character once. Yeah. And I don't know if you've seen the film The Lady Killers, the Coen Brothers movie. You seen it? I've not seen this one. It's it's kind of a deep cut, and it didn't get much attention, but it's a really interesting movie. It's got uh, uh, some interesting parts from people like J.K. Simmons and like Marlon Wayans, and it's it's a fun movie. It's very dark, and that's probably why it's the Coen Brothers. So, you know, by the end, you're like, you're like, did I just go to church? Like, what just <laughs> happened? You know, um, but he plays a character in that that's kind of like feels like Colonel Sanders. Hmm. This very like Southern, you know, like kind of like uh, like pretending to be elegant and educated like Southerner in this movie. 
And I'm really curious to see how close the Colonel and Elvis is kind of to this character with the voice and all that. And, and if it's not distinct, I've seen that other movie so much that it might be a problem for me to, to, to distinguish. We'll see, but I'm not as high in this as you. I, you know, I'm usually about 20 minutes into a Baz Luhrmann movie and I feel like I need like, like a scotch and like a walk through yeah. the woods. Cause it's so overstimulating. So like, we'll see. The jury's out for me. All right, first headline today, Benny. And, man, you know, sometimes I, I, I write out these scripts, and I'm like, why did I write this? But Drake is going from zero to 100 real quick. I'm sorry, folks. By, and he surprised fans with a new album. That's right. The Grammy Award winner, 35 years old, shocked his 113 million Instagram followers on Thursday by announcing his seventh studio album, Honestly Nevermind, which is a very Drake album title, dropped... Yeah. Midnight. So it is out today, Friday. You can go listen to it. Um, it's a, his seventh studio album, as, as I said. Um, a, a very chromatic theme seems to be a popular theme these days. But Benny, I got to get into the nuts and bolts here of album release and everything like this. Um, I feel like there's very few people that when they drop an album, A, it's a story. Like, like everyone's lining up to listen to it. And two, that can do it secretly like this and need no buildup. So how does something like this happen where a guy like Drake can just be like, like been recording music and then one day he just like, boom, dropped. Here you go. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you, you nailed the interesting part, which is like Drake doesn't need rollout, you know? And like as much as a label loves to have rollout because they get to charge the artist, you know, millions and millions of dollars off their contracts to put together ad campaigns and all these things and hire staffs to like service these records. And this is one of the reason like people can never pay their albums back historically. So an artist like Drake, whose audience is fine, like he's got no problem finding his audience. He's got no problem selling his records. He doesn't need any of that shit. And I think the interesting part of the modern game here is as we discuss a lot on the podcast, you know, the mix between sports and music is it's, it's the empowerment. It's like the empowerment of artists to be able to recognize what they need and don't need and what's good for them and actually do it now. So I'm not surprised at all. Drake took this uh, path. The thing that fascinates me about this is what you said is like, how do you keep making and even behind the scenes rolling out a Drake album with nobody knowing, you know, um, I wonder if like through the process, the people who help like record it, produce it, work on it. I wonder if they have to sign NDAs and oh, stuff 100%. like it's possible. Right. So, yeah. So the cool thing about that is like, even though there was no public rollout for this record, someone is still behind the scenes, like organizing with, with Spotify and with iTunes and with YouTube and all the various channels that like in synchronicity, you had to have things like blasted out on these channels at the exact same time. And that takes like some fairly massive like oversight and work to get done in a good way. So a lot of people worked on it and a lot of people knew about it. And I love the fact that you won't see, but I think one thing people forget about in moments like this, it's true self-preservation as well. 
like Drake's the boss here. If you fuck around with Drake's album and you like are the one to like spill the beans or something, you're fucked. You're fucked forever. You're the one who did that and no one's going to fucking hire you for shit anymore. So like, I think the last thing people who are working on this are trying to do is like ruffle Drake's feathers. Like someone who, you know, might like, I don't know, he might be fucking prime minister of Canada and own the Raptors in like the next 10 years. Like, you don't want to mess with that guy, you know? And you know what? He, for all intents and purposes, he seems like a good dude. He like he, he doesn't mm. seem like one of these like like divas that's like out here. I know. Like he may fuck around a little bit, but he's not like, yeah. No, I honestly, for someone, he's one of those people who has won me over with everything but his music. You're right, exactly. Like I still don't really know a lot of Drake songs. Okay. Like I know some of the hits. But I've never really like sat down with Drake albums and like took them in for some reason. It never interested me in that way. Uh, maybe I'll start now. But like I love him on SNL. I love when I see him doing all this funny stuff. I love him make games. I love like his vibe is good. I you know I'm like pro Drake for some reason. I resent people like this. Like what the fuck? Like why you got to be good at everything? You know, <laughs> handsome and young, good at everything. God damn it, Drake. See, I hear this, and for the Gaslight fans listening, I, I, I don't know. I just hear a future collaboration. I mean, he's collaborated with a bunch of bands before. Next you Gaslight know, album, here comes Drake. It's funny. It's funny. Uh, old friend John Cohen, who's you know a writer down uh, in Asbury Park and you know down at the shore, uh, we were just talking about the old uh, movie Judgment Night with the famous soundtrack which mixed uh, rock bands and rap bands in the 90s. Mm -hmm. It was very, uh, you know, a big album at the time and, and cutting edge at the time. And he was saying just today, if Gaslight were to be on a record like that, who would you want to collaborate with? And I did say there, I was like, you know, not going to front. If I could have anyone, I'd go Kendrick, you know? Yeah. Like, go for the best, right? Yeah. If you got carte blanche there. Kendrick, Drake, oh my gosh, dude, you're, yeah, but those are like, like imagine dragons and like those fuckers are probably gonna get those ones. Yeah, but we're gonna have to go deeper cut. We'll have to go Jersey or something. Maybe like Joey Badass. We'll get like a Brooklyn guy, you know. If 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 you can get Queen Latifah doing music again, that's a, that, ah, that's an all time New Jersey. <laughs> Red man. Oh man, hey man, that um, would be. You know what? I, why I would want to do that. Just to get Brian Fallon and Redman in a room together. <laughs> oh my God, that's a that's a personality vibe I would just <laughs> want to see happen. I bet it would explode in a phenomenally fun way. I love it. I love it. All right, next headline today, Benny. Late Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins is being saluted with two All-Star Tribute concerts in September, and Miley Cyrus and his old bandmate Alanis Morissette are on the bill for them. Cyrus and Morissette are among the two stars who will be performing at the Forum in Los Angeles on September 27th. Uh, Mark Ronson is also on the bill, as are Joan Jett, uh, the members of KISS, Queen, Police, Rush, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, this goes all between Wembley and the Forum, uh, so a intercontinental tribute and Benny, is there a bigger honor in your passing than getting these tribute shows at the Forum and Wembley? I mean, yeah, like it's one of those things, you know, like 
it's uh it's such a kind of sad and tragic thing that it's like um like any anything that feels like a show of it immediately feels like a bit off-putting where i'm like oh man really but then like i see the flyers and i see the the way it's being presented and i see the artists on it who are people who probably love taylor hawkins and taylor hawkins mutually loved i mean you're talking about like roger taylor and brian may from queen like he was a self-professed like queen lover you know and you got uh you know liam gallagher and you know people from you know your favorite rush getty lee and like your favorite bands and you know the people he treasured are going to come honor him and for people like this and for musicians like music is healing like getting together with everyone and playing music is healing playing music for people is healing and all the money is going to you know charities that taylor's family is choosing and things that they thought could help so it feels like a, it feels like a nice and appropriate honor for for someone like Taylor, you know, like because you get the impression that you know that dude doesn't want rock and roll to stop, yeah. you know. <laughs> so I, I think it's cool, and um, you know, as, as sad as it is, I I, I get like the you got to do something, and this is probably the best way to do it. These things can be so nice. Um, they recently put on Netflix the tribute that they did at the Comedy Store to Bob Saget, and they had uh, like like John Mayer was there, like a bunch of different m- musicians. So I really feel like when like somebody passes, like the best way you can honor them is to do the thing that they love to do in an environment that they love to do, and really just kind of make the day about them and a day of remembrance. So. Um, Seems like something he would have liked, and I like. I kind of hope when people pass in the future, like it is important to make a, a big deal out of someone's life, and I can't think of a better way to do it than with this. And I think you know, like anything, you know, these things are perfect. They're for the living, yeah. you know. They're for the people still here yeah. to like get on. I I once got to go to the Lou Reed tribute show. Um, up in Harlem mm. when when he passed away and like you know one of the things you could automatically see was just the reverence other people had for him and they needed their outlet to kind of kind of show how much they appreciated these people and stuff um, so it's it's a good thing like you said it's it's healing and uh, yeah I think it'll be positive for everyone around it albeit I'm sure very sad yeah very sad all right, Benny, next headline today as we slowly get into the sports, Benny, let's get to soccer. We don't get enough soccer on this podcast, but we get to it when it's related to the tri-state area. And FIFA <laughs> announced on uh, Wednesday slash Thursday that 16 North American cities will host matches for the 2026 World Cup with 11 venues chosen within the United States, three in Mexico, and two in Canada. And we have our official host cities, Benny. Do you want me to run through these? Yeah, let's let's go quick. Yeah. First and foremost, New York, New Jersey, MetLife Stadium getting one. We're already on the board here. Um, then we have Los Angeles uh, at SoFi Stadium, Dallas AT&T Stadium, uh, the Bay Area at Levi Field, uh, Levi Stadium rather, Miami, we, they're, they're going to the Hard Rock Stadium, Atlanta, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, 
uh, Seattle, Lumen Field, uh, Houston, NRG Stadium, uh, double dosed in the tri-state area. Philadelphia, they're going to the link. Um, Mm -hmm. Kansas City, Missouri, they're playing at Arrowhead. And we get a little more Northeast flair here. Uh, Boston, Gillette Stadium. Benny, you've played most of these cities. Now, those are just the American ones. They're going to Mexico City, Monterey, Guadalajara, as well as Vancouver and Toronto. Um, so, Benny, you played most of these cities. Did FIFA get it right? You know what? A little bit, no. And 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 you're right. I, I've not only traveled these cities, but I know how most of these cities are deemed as markets, right? And Northeast happens to have, like, a big market share because within, you know, five hours of the Northeast, you have like half a dozen A markets. You know, you have New York and Philly and Boston and DC and like, you know, all this stuff that, that are A markets. But if you're really like trying to spread the game and like do things like that, I think this sort of cluster of teams in the Northeast here, like, like really why do you need in the context of the world cup why do you need philadelphia and new york to each have one which are an hour away from each other you know um why do you need uh boston to be in that mix too when they're just like right up the road and then there's probably a lack of representation in like many regions in the country i also noticed that in canada uh as i texted you i was surprised to see edmonton left off the list Mm. and even though edmonton is like probably a bc market when it goes to like you know population and how many tickets it's good for uh i don't know if you've ever driven across canada i have not but it's about three thousand miles from (laughs) toronto to vancouver (laughs) so if there's i mean you're trying to spread soccer in canada and literally you have only two coastal games and you're leaving out the entire central region of Canada, which also services like it could service parts of, you know, um, the U.S. like going up into there. So I, I was a little surprised that they were seemed much more focused, I guess, on like media markets than actual like soccer fans ability to attend the games. Yeah. The Canada part of this is interesting because, like, I feel like you got to do Toronto, you got to do Vancouver, um, sure. and a, a a total lack of representation in the Midwest. I think the like doing Kansas City over Chicago is an interesting thing. Edmonton, like, like, like the Midwest, Upper Midwest, total lack of representation. But immediately, the first thought that I have with this is if you're in a group that polls like the new jersey new york boston that is the that is the group that you want to be in for a competitive advantage you're gonna have such fresher legs than if you're playing in in the midwest or the west coast are you kidding me like yeah i people in the rest of the world have no idea how far la is from san francisco to seattle so that's why new jersey bands i don't know if i ever told you about this we used to tour the pork chop we'd call it (laughs) where you went from new jersey to florida and kind of carved your way over to chicago and then back and it sort of looked like a pork chop <laughs> and it was the easy way for us to tour because everything was so close and you just didn't kill a lot of gas yeah. you know so i think your theory is definitely correct as far as that goes um but i do want to applaud 
uh, I like just the fundamental idea of like the North American tournament. Yeah. You know, I like the fact that Canada has two cities. Mexico has three. The U.S. has a number of them. I think the fundamental idea between that and connecting it is 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 nice. And that's a good thing to reach for. So give him credit for that for sure. Well, the interesting way that that came about, because this entire bid started during the Trump years. So and it was a originally the original proposal was just supposed to be U.S. World Cup. And then because of some of the foreign policy at the time, uh, they had to make it a little bit more expansive um, in the eyes of of FIFA. So I I, Hmm. I think it's interesting. Yeah, I guess these are when people said there would be the uh, reactionary things on the other side. You know, I guess this is one of those ancillary benefits, you know. Yeah, and also they had a... uh, a TV broadcast of this, man, there are leagues that do great programming and they're great propaganda for their own league. The NBA does a good job of this. MLB, NFL, FIFA's got to work on this because Mm. every time they put together like a made-for-TV announcement thing, it's awkward as hell, and this was no Mm. different. I bet those games, though, in like Mexico City are going to be lit. Oh, my gosh, dude. That's That's going to be so fun. fun. The Azteca. Home of the hand of God in 86? Oh, my God. Come on now. Give it to me. (laughs) All right, Benny, let's get to the NBA Finals. And we have a champion. Sure do. We're burying the lead here this morning. Crown the dubs. So hard. For the fourth time in less than a decade, the Golden State Warriors are (laughs) Yeah, why did we do this last? I know, I know. (laughs) Because, listen, were we going to break the form for the dubs? I don't think so. I I talked about the rhythm (laughs) section for the talking heads. Before over the war is <laughs> Steph Curry Warrior Championship. Okay, this is this is why we're we're always be a deep cut, Danny. That's right. That's right. Oh, well, all right. So the Golden State Warriors are kings of the NBA, and this time may have been the most satisfying for them, having to overcome uh, being a lottery team, injury, all of the things, losing a particular Nets star. Um, so a they began their new era. Uh, over the past few years and culminated in this championship. Uh, the Dubs beat the Boston Celtics in a decisive game six, uh, 103-90. Steph dropped 34 in route to his first ever finals MVP. Uh, we'll get to Steph in a sec. But, Benny, what about this run most impressed you? Um, You know what? I think it's the same thing that I really loved about the Spurs run in the 2000s was the... I think it may be more impressive watching groups uh, maintain success or reclaim success after a a long period with the same people because we've seen rebuilds are hard. And like the idea that you like just have to win a championship, get to this like apex and like tear it down and build it up again. You know, these great teams figure out a way to get around that. And there's usually a great player that allows you to operate a team like that. Tim Duncan was that guy for the Spurs. He always took a certain type of contract. He always took enough coaching, uh, always had a good enough, you know, rapport with like the media and the fans that like he never lost favor. And Steph Curry is the exact same way. I mean, like even when the Warriors weren't winning, even when he was hurt, the whole team was hurt. When they were struggling, 
when did Golden State fans stop rooting for Steph Curry? And when he's healthy, when did they not have a fighting chance to win any game they're in? So I think that's the most impressive part for me. And, and you know, you hate to like immediately talk about legacy when things like this happen. Yeah. You know, you want to talk about the game and what actually happened. But like for the big three of the Warriors, particularly Steph, this was one of the biggest legacy cementer runs that's like ever happened. You know, like all questions about this group, all questions about him are erased. They're clean. And now he has like untainted love for sports eternity, like forthcoming. Like if they didn't answer this question, he always would have had that thing like riding on him. Like in some, we've seen it happen to players narratives as it goes on in time. Um, and, and I think the guys on the team knew it too, you know, Draymond knew it. Did you see, he was playing with ferocity last night. Like he, he, <laughs> he was not, they were just not going to let it happen. And they, they, they knew like the second that whistle blew and you saw that rush of emotion, you know, that's like, that is, I think they, they knew quite well, like, Oh my, we got four, we got our one without KD. Like no one can fuck with us at all anymore. And it's true. And, you know, immediately you hear the conversations like, all right, Steph Curry's now got to talk about him with Magic Johnson, his best point guards in the league and blah, blah, blah. Like it really takes just this one win to do it. So I think that that's probably the biggest takeaway for me. How about you? I love a finals and a narrative here where a guy kind of gets something off of his back. And I feel like we've now seen this in, in, in back to back years. Um, and I, I love to see, you know, they have like the first championship pre KD. Then they have that entire run. That's like one of the greatest stretches of basketball we'll ever see. And then to do it after the worst thing we do in this talking space about all of it is the ring conversation. It's important. It's vital, but to judge somebody's reputation, their legacy off of it, uh, despite whatever that they've already accomplished is ridiculous. So for all of them to be like, Hey, take this fourth ring and absolutely shove it. I love to see it. (laughs) Well, let's talk about it on the bottom. So, so, in your estimation, did the Warriors win this or did Boston lose it? I haven't said this on one actually. I said it before it got on. Happy. Just Warriors and Six called it. You did. Yeah, nailed it. Credit to you. Credit to you. I'd like to put it on wax. I had Boston on seven. Denny nailed Warriors and Six. I said it to my wife last night. It was like, good for Denny. Nailed that one. But I, so the, the thing about Boston in, in this series is. Just too many turnovers, man. And, you know, that was the reason why I could not pick them this NBA Finals because, like, we've seen the stretches during the entire playoff run where they could be the best team in the league, but there were also stretches where they looked bad. And there was against an experienced team and some of the best coaching you'll see, Steve Kerr, I didn't like it at all. I mean, I hate to do it, but you got to ride the main guy here. And as much as Jason Tatum had a heck of a playoffs, man. Yeah. I mean, I watched, I watched more Boston than I wanted to watch this, this postseason. I watched a shit ton of them. And Jason Tatum was a different player at the beginning of this playoffs. And, 
you know, I think, you know, as I'm watching this series, I'm seeing Jalen Brown do what he's supposed to do. Marcus Smart doing what he will do, Mm -hmm. which is when no one else is picking up the slack, fuck it, I'm going to shoot. Someone's got to. That's Marcus Smart. And and it happened again when Tatum went cold. Uh, I thought Horford was good, you know, in stretches and powerful in stretches like you'd expect. Time Lord gave you these like (laughs) five, ten minute stretches where you're like, shit, if this guy puts it together, you're a fucking monster. So to me, like everybody played predictably for the Celtics, except Tatum in this series. Like he's the one where by, by game three or four, that, that, that open three point look, he was coming off, you know, stepping off screens and taking that shot, the drives where he was getting fouled every time I stopped trusting it, you know, and he started putting up these shots by game four. And I was like, I don't know if that's going to go in. And I think, you know, he's 24 years old, which is crazy that he's 24 years old. Um, And I think he just got worn down and potentially like injured or, or something, you know, but to me, uh, like so much of the, the tipping point of this series, I hate to put it on one guy, but he's the guy, man. And uh, they needed him to, to come up with some big shots and come up with some big moments. And he seemed to, to fold in most of them in those last few games. And, um, he's a great player. So I'm kind of under the assumption that, you know, by the time he got through with fucking KD and Giannis and Jimmy Butler and each of those series, they all like boofed, like totally boofed one game and mm. had to play an extra game and yeah. stuff like that. I think it caught up to him and the Warriors just like, you know, they, they had their great point early in the season. Then they had their low. And then they ramped it back up again by the playoffs. And they were they were clicking on all cylinders by the end. And I think Boston was was running on empty, you know? The Tatum conversation here is fascinating because I don't know if he listen, I hate the conversation of oh, is this guy the best player on a championship team? You gotta have a different mental makeup sometimes. And like it's not to say that Jason Tatum is not a, a great basketball player. But you need something extra that's like a little crazy to like be the guy in a final series. Does Tatum have it? I don't know, and and I'm sure that's a very weei question that I, I just asked you. But like when when you see it and you see his like body language, especially in Game Six, he he's a guy that looked like he was just like searching for answers. And I don't. I, I'm. I'm super interested to see now. The good thing is he's having this experience at 24, so he's got another 10 years, so he can learn. But he's got to get his body better and and built for this kind of grueling grind here. Yeah, I think it's way too early to make that kind of determination on Jason Tatum. And like, if you asked most of the NBA community sometime in the Miami series you would have been like, oh, Jason Tatum's here. Yeah. This guy is no fucking joke. He's two ways doing everything out there. He's the guy. Um, So I'm not willing to say that at all for Jason Tatum. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Listen to this. Yeah. You know, he's been in the league since 17, right? Mm-hmm. Points per game every year right. since 17. 13.9, mm-hmm. 15.7, 23.4, 26.4, 26.9. Every year improved. Minutes, 30, 31, 34, 35, 36. 
every year going up. Assists, one and a half, two, three, four, four and a half. Like every year, you know, improvement, his body gets stronger, he gets bigger. 24 years old is a fucking baby baby. in the NBA. I mean, think about what 24 years old used to mean uh, in the 80s. You know what I mean? That was a fucking baby who was not expected to go anywhere near a world title by that point. So I think it's way too early to make that determination on Jason Tatum. And I still think like from what I saw early in his playoffs, the makeup of his game and the things he can add kind of yeah. easily, you know, like, like you'd like to see Tatum add like a real, uh, per, uh a mid range game, I think would help a lot. You know, like he can, gets caught in the middle sometimes between between driving and shooting threes. And I think a guy at his height adds a nice, nice mid range game with a high release point and stuff. I, I, I don't know. I still think sky's the limit for Tatum. I don't, I don't think it's the end at all for him. Oh no. And I did not say that. He'll get his title, yeah, right, eventually. But as of right now, man, he the body. I think he's strong, but man, if if, if he's gonna be the kind of player that he like can be, he's gotta like bulk up a little bit more. I'm which saying, is like I'm, I'm telling you, man, you two dudes on on a Zoom telling a guy to bulk up is hilarious. Yeah, you go but. out, you go, you go mess around <laughs> with uh, Giannis and PJ Tucker for fucking <laughs> for like nine straight games and tell me how you feel. <laughs> um, but let's do the Steph part of of this conversation, man, and specifically like the Steph KD stuff because I feel like we gotta dive into that a, a little mm-hmm. bit more. So Steph. Wins his fourth NBA championship, as we said, tying him with LeBron and Shaq, which is crazy. Um, He's got one more than Larry Bird and Dwayne Wade and one shy of Kobe, Magic Johnson, and Tim Duncan. God, see, this is is what gets me. I end up asking you these, like, WFAN questions. (laughs) But is he knocking on the door of top ten all time? Yeah, yeah, of course he is. Of course he is. (laughs) Yeah, he's got to be at this point because... You know, the one thing I, I think, too, that you have to add into this is the and another reason you got to give LeBron James some credit is like they came really close to five and kind of yeah. should have probably had five. You know what I mean? And LeBron, like, just straight fucking bullied and stole one from them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like they had a bump in that year either. So, no, I think this run is is of absolute historical precedence and. Steph Curry has clearly like risen to the absolute top of what this team ever was. And I think before this, there was a question. There was, you know, you had Clay Thompson next to you, who if there was a the the best shooter in the history of the game, it was easy to say, here's the second best shooter mm. in the history of the game. And he's your player. Good for you. And then you got Draymond Green, the smartest big man to, to ever play defense. And then you have, uh, oh, let's just add Kevin Durant. So, so of course, there was a thing, and people hated it, man. Like, we can't uh, 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 demystify how angry people were when Kevin Durant went to the Warriors yeah. and why. Because everybody knew and do you remember like oh. those couple years when we were going into the season with those Warriors? And it was hard to be like, it wasn't that much fun for NBA fans when you knew who was going to win before the season even started. 
and that it was going to take some sort of crazy catastrophe to, to make them not win. That's how good this team yeah. is. And I think there were a lot of NBA fans through those years who kind of like enjoyed those teams for the greatness of basketball, mm -hmm. but resented those teams for the way they were put together. And they always did. And that is again, why I let off with this topic and why I stay with it now. Like this championship might've been one of the biggest ones I've ever seen as far as like cementing and redirecting the way people view a player and a legacy. It's interesting pendulums thing when we talk about these like championships because they got added in like the, the minds of people. And I'm not sure how this works. I feel like they got added to KD's legacy and people were like, Oh, Steph already had one. He's good. So th that, that like run was more about KD than it was Steph. And this, championship kind of brought the narrative and and the focus back super yeah weird. that's a good point yeah it was like steph getting kd rings yeah a bit. yeah yeah but that's now true. we got to talk about your boy and and what this does mean for kevin durant and and how, how do we view those championships in his own own legacy because people yeah. prior to this were like undisputed top 10 top top 15 player of all time and when you when you're part of of a, a team that has this decade of of dominance and and you're there for a short time and don't win anything outside of that, what does that say about you? I don't know. I, I think it's interesting, and I think it's like it, it's almost like a scene in a movie where like one player like drinks the poison wine, <laughs> and now like hands the goblet over to someone else. You know what I mean? Like. Like Steph Curry cleared his name. Yeah. He cleared the questions. He did it. And Kevin Durant is going to forever have these same questions if he doesn't. If they're fair or not, I don't know. Mm. He's come so close so many times with different teams and different, you know, connections like, you know, uh, the Kevin Durant sycophants will talk to, you know, how close they came with the Thunder, which was very close. Mm. You know, they'll be like, oh, he was a big toe away from going to the finals, you know, against Giannis. And, you know, um, so I do think the pendulum has swung back to Durant. And that's why, you know, immediately uh, one of the biggest stories of the NBA just becomes the Nets offseason. Yeah. Like what the Nets are going to do uh, is fascinating and probably the, the, the most interesting wrinkle of this offseason. Yeah, because like he needs a he needs a championship this year or next and yeah. does that windows closing baby <laughs> and does that involve him being like all right trade anybody that does not get the best does he go full lebron does he have that in him to just like take the dagger put it right in Kyrie's back and be like you abandon me bro i need these titles for my legacy i like we know he reads twitter we know he reads all yeah. of this stuff does he just become CEO? It's just a business. Baby. Or another question. Did he lose the ability to become CEO in the last couple of years? Not in you Brooklyn. Know, like Kevin Durant's CEO nature brought them Kyrie Irving and James Harden experience. Oh, wow. You know? So is Sean Marks really going to sit back this, this off season and be like, KD, like, what do you think still? I don't know. And I got to say that first Sean Marks uh, press conference after the season was by far the most chippy and yeah. open I've heard him talk about Kyrie Irving's situation since it's begun. Um, and I think for anyone paying attention to that guy's press conferences, he was, he was saying something he was, he was, 
putting some people on watch more yeah. than he has in a while. So, yeah, I really it's what the Nets do this offseason, man. That's that's funky. But the one thing I can guarantee, mm-hmm. and I said this to our friend Howard Beck earlier, just cue it up now for the Ben Simmons looks fucking jack tweets <laughs> in August. It's coming. It's coming. He's going to look great, trust me. Well, I can see why Sean Marks is pissed as hell cuz not only like the Kyrie and and KD stuff, but people forget Jared Allen was his guy, Karis LeVert was his guy, Spencer Dinwiddie was his guy. All these people that he was like, we're going to build this great thing in Brooklyn and these guys come in and they're just like, "Nah, well, let's get DeAndre Jordan." Hey, listen, Joe Harris is coming back. (laughs) Oh, man. Joe Harris, three-point competition winner. Oh, man. It's like a little twisted all the way, right? (laughs) Jesus. This was not on the docket, but, man, if they could could move Kyrie, man, I don't know what you get for Kyrie, but I know one of these teams, like, totally hypothetical all off the cuff here. Mm -hmm. Like, say you, you, you take a team like, Sacramento. Say you try to trade Kyrie to Sacramento and you get like Sabonis, you get Dante. I don't know. Oh, oh. I mean, well, hey, Sacramento <laughs> would be oh, let's let's trade DeMontis Sabonis and pair up Kyrie Irving and De'Aaron Fox. <laughs> yes. That's great. What do you, I mean, that one's not gonna happen. Oh. <laughs> I'm but just saying, totally there, off there, the cuff places. There are scenarios out there. There are. And it, and I think that's where Especially if Kyrie takes some kind of, you know, I'll do like a one in one kind of extension where, you know, this contract could come off the books for somebody else too in a year and stuff like that. There is different kinds of value people can find in it. And if there's anything last year proved, right? Once Kyrie Irving is on the court with a basketball in his hands, like no one cares about anything. Yeah. Last year was proof. That guy was the biggest annoying piece of shit. Let's just be real about it, okay? Like, he blew up the Nets last season by not getting that vaccine. That's just what (laughs) happened. It it, it made James Harden leave. It created the foils. Kevin Durant got his fucking ass kicked during the season. They didn't have enough. And it was because he wasn't around and decided to make that decision. And literally everyone forgave him. And he's like three games back in putting up 40 and everybody in the league is like, well, Kyrie, he's that fucking good. He's a magician with the ball, you know? So I, there's no lengths to the, to where I'll see Kyrie apologists go uh, once he has a ball in his hands. (laughs) Oh man. See, I, I just see this ending with Kyrie in Miami, and you just got to deal with Kyle Lowry, Duncan Robinson, and uh, um, Tyler Hero. I mean, I, dude, I love <laughs> Kyle. Kyle Lowry on the Nets right now. It's exactly what we need. <laughs> exactly what we need. We need some guy to like beat up the other team, be the biggest dickhead in the world, score zero points if you have to, <laughs> and set up all these like great shooters all around the Nets. That's exactly what we need right now. I'll take Kyle Lowry. Come on. The thing I'm fearful about this, Denny, yeah, is it being like September and me getting the email from the Nets with Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving <laughs> pitching me the healthy big three that's coming in, like all ready to go. Oh, this guy doesn't need a vaccine anymore. He got back surgery. We're good to go. Here we go. That is what I'm scared of because 
Cause it's an easy thing to kind of like pitch because they're big names and, and you could probably trick the layman sports fan into thinking that might work. Uh, but it's not gonna, um, if, if there's anything I believe in Denny, it's historical precedence. Oh yes. <laughs> and <laughs> Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving give me no faith in the context of historical precedence. I love it. I love it all. Uh, we're getting back into the drama. See, talking about all of that, right? Way more fun than talking about this series. And I think that proves my point about the NBA Finals. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's true. It's true. All right. Back to the soap opera. Yeah, this is what um, I want. I need the soap opera. Stop with the meat. I want the days <laughs> of our lives. Come on. All right, playing Wiz, get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune-up podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. If you want to follow us on all the social platforms, it is the tune-up HQ on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, like, subscribe, all of that stuff on wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I'm at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Just... Everybody love everybody this week. Come on. The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to The Tune-Up.